Our gracious God and our Father, by the mercies of Jesus Christ, we would ask that you would receive this offering and that we who give it as a living offering would be sacrificed for the sake of Christ, that we would be that living sacrifice pleasing unto you. And for that reason, we ask this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, my nervousness this morning in preaching, uh, I forgot the fact that you can't hear me without a microphone. So I apologize to John and to the rest of you upstairs, and thank you for your patience with me. Yeah, this morning, um, we're going to be just doing something a little different. And what I mean by that is, if you'll take out the sheet of paper that's in your bulletin, um, one of the things that God tells us that, that Logan and I are charged to do is to train you on how to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we finished the, the message of Amos, we came away with this whole mentality that, that God has an expectation for the church, and the church is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world. Now, how do we do that? Uh, I mean, I, I haven't seen any of y'all on the corners of streets uh, preaching the gospel. Have any of y'all done that? Just raise your hand. Have been on the corner downtown Mooresville maybe on the corner of, of, of Main Street and some other place and you've been sharing the gospel uh, so often when we feel about sharing the gospel we feel frightened because there's two things that happens in our spirits the first is we don't feel qualified to share the gospel now if you don't feel qualified to talk about Jesus just just raise your hand please raise your hand yeah and the other is I don't feel like I know what to say if you feel like that's the case for you, raise your hand. I don't know what to say. Yeah, well, one of the things that's really amazing to me is that many times in the church, we go through the motions of talking about the gospel, but we are first feeling disqualified because we don't really feel that we're cap capable of doing so. And th secondly, we oftentimes feel truly that we're not sure exactly how to express the gospel. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a, just a simple outline of the gospel, and then Logan is going to take it from there in the sermon this morning. And someone asked me, he said, now, if both of you are preaching, is it going to be twice as long? And I said, no, it will be twice as good, though, and I promise you that. Um, this morning, as we look at that and we begin to think about the gospel, I, I just want to ask you, can, how can anyone be saved? Can you, can you be saved just by going to church? Can you be saved just by doing a good, good deed? Can you be saved by doing good, just enough good in the world? Maybe, maybe you did the Christmas shoeboxes this year, or maybe you've given to the Mooresville Pregnancy Center, or you've done this or you've done that. And does, that. does that mean you're saved? Does that mean you are spared the judgment of God and the punishment that has yet to be revealed to those who disobey God? It's not. It's not it at all. And so uh, this morning as we turn, we're going to turn to the scriptures first and we're going to see, I hope we're going to see, um, that in Romans chapter 10, 1 through 4, Paul writes to the Romans and we're going to uh, pick up his thought process here where he talks about this. And I want to invite you, if you would, stand with me as we read the word of God this morning. Very quickly, Paul writes these words. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Well, aren't they saved? No. 
But they're Jews, right? But they're not saved. He goes on to say, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So there's a probably a reality that you can be zealous for God, but not be knowledgeable about what it is that God has spoken. He says, since they did not know about the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Well, what does he mean by this? There is a way in which people believe they could be right with God by their own work, their own good works. This is the word of God. Would you please sit down? This morning, you may be coming this, with this idea that somehow you are accepted by God because of something you've done. That because you grew up in a good family, or you were born in the right race, or you have this kind of income, that somehow you are right with God. And if you believe that, you're, des you're desperately zealous, but you're, you have no knowledge of salvation. And so when you think about the church, what's the church's work? The church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, it's not the preacher who does it. It is the church. And in the church preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, it's important that you and I begin to dig deeply into understanding the gospel because truly, as, of, as others who've come before us have taught us, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but whenever you turn on the news, it's never hardly ever good news. Have you ever heard good news on the, on the, on the news shows at night? No, it's always bad news. And so one of the studies that psychologists have done is they have found out that for every bad news we have heard, we have to have good news to offset ourselves emotionally. In other words, we have to have good news spoken to us 10 times. Well, it's not surprising then that the reason a lot of us don't feel prepared to be in the world sharing the gospel is we have not heard the gospel enough. We have not let it become a part of our soul, our spirit. We have not hinged our whole understanding of what God has done in revealing the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ to us. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying there is now a righteousness that comes not by your good works, but through the work of Christ on the cross on your behalf. And it's in that righteousness that we rest. It's in that righteousness that we have a confidence. It's in that righteousness that we are convinced that we are made right with God. You say, well, what is this righteousness, Robert? Well, on your piece of paper, what we're going to do is we're going to draw this diagram. And you can't probably see it very well, but it's uh, two cliffs. It's a cliff on the right and a cliff on the left. And so uh, what I'd like for you to do is we're going to walk through the gospel very quickly. And I want you to do this on your paper, but the first thing I want you to draw is I want you to draw a line going this way and then down. And then above that line, write God, because that's the first part of the gospel. When you think about who God is, when you think about how people are searching for God in these days, they are looking for God in various ways and in various means. And the most amazing thing is that the Bible is very clear that God cannot be discovered through our own intellect. He cannot be discovered through our emotions. He cannot be discovered by our searching through the trees and nuts and rocks. God is not that kind of God. 
He's a God who is holy, and because he's holy, he is not like us in any sense of the word. Therefore, God must reveal himself to us. And the most powerful thing about this is that the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that um, whoever, or whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3, 16. So the first thing we discover about God is he cannot be known by anyone because of where they grew up or what experiences they've had. They can only know him as God reveals himself. And that, that revelation is through Jesus Christ. And so when you have friends that you're talking to, and you may have someone at work or in your neighborhood, and you're, you're discussing God with them, the first question you have to ask when they think about God is, are they talking about the God who revealed himself in Christ, or are they talking about the God of their imagination? The second is that this God we come to know, interestingly enough, reveals to us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but God, through Jesus Christ, says, I've come to give life. And so the, the amazing thing about this God is that the God we worship is not out to kill you. He's out to save you. He's out to give you life. And what tremendous good news that is for the world. When you see all the things happening in us, in this world, when you think of all the things that are going on, one of the things the Bible reveals to us is the God we come to seek, or the God who really reveals himself to us, is first of all a God who loves us so much, and secondly, he wants to give us life. Now, what does life, that, what does life mean? It means not just abundant life in the sense of a lot of money in our pocket. It's talking about the reason we've been created. We come to understand who we are. Why am I here? And for what purpose has God made me? And it's only as I, it's only as I come to know God that I really start having joy in life. Well, why doesn't everybody have this? I mean, there are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of people seeking God. Why don't people who do seek God in their own fashion, form, or way have those things? It's because they don't know the true God, the one true God. And so on the other side of the page, I need you to draw another line. It's another horizontal line and a vertical line going down. And it, it should match in such a way that you now see a gap. You see a gap between God and us. You see, our problem is that we're separated from God. Uh, Romans 3, 30, 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the problem with every human being under heaven. They know of God. They know about a God, but they don't know the one true God. And they don't know that God because of the sinful nature that's in them. This sinful nature is something they're born with. Uh, I, you know, Ruth Christenberry is here. I call her Miss Sainthood. You know, have you ever seen Ruth angry at anything? No. Have you ever heard her raise her voice? Absolutely not. You know, if, if I were going to say who is the most Christian person in our church, I'd say it's Ruth. Amen? Amen? But you know, Ruth has told me, ah, don't look at me. Uh-uh. I am not perfect. So even in Ruth's life, there is this acknowledgement that we're not what we're supposed to be. When you talk to your friends, when you talk to people in your neighborhood, 
One thing you'll hear people say is, I am not perfect. They know that they have fallen short of the glory of God. They know intuitively they do not live up to the expectation God has for them. And they don't even have the real knowledge of who the one true God is. Isn't that amazing? And so this chasm that has been, that has been made by our sin, it, it is a realization that death is, death is real and it's the result of sin. The, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter uh, 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, this is why humanity dies. This is why each of us will face death. It's a punishment for the original sin of Adam and Eve. And everyone is scared of that. I don't know anyone who comes close to that moment when they know they're going to die, that they, they feel happy. Because it's an abnormal thing as far as God's creation. We were never intended to die. You say, well, how can you say that? Because the... The Bible teaches that I know I have a soul that will never die because I, I can think of God in the world to come. In other words, I can think beyond my life. Animals can't do that. And so as you place this chasm on your paper, you have on one side you have God and then the cliff. And then on the other side, another cliff with you and me and every other human being. And we're separated from God, separated completely because of our sin. And the next question is then what possible hope do we have? None in ourselves. There is no way, no possible way that even Mother Teresa could bridge the gap. Now I want you to understand this because this is where our modern culture does not get it. Everyone you ever talk to says, maybe if we're good enough, we can go to heaven. The Muslims teach that. The Jews teach that. Every religion except Christianity teaches it. If we're good enough, well, how much good do I have to do? How much? There isn't enough. You could give all your money to the poor today. Give every piece of clothing in your, in your closet to the poor today. You could do every good thing you could think of today and it would never be enough. Why? Because if you sin one time, you are deserving of the wrath of God and you're separated from God eternally. Just one. The joy is that our, our problem is how God solves it, not how we solve it. And this is the third part of the gospel. It's how God solves our problem. How does he do that? Romans 5 verse 8 says this. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that beautiful? That while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And in so doing, he has taken upon himself the wrath we once deserved and bore it on his own on that tree for us. Peter in 1 Peter 13 or 3 18 says, For Christ also suffered for us once for sins, 
the righteous, meaning he was righteous, for the unrighteous, meaning me, to bring me to God. He, is put, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so this is the, the whole solution to man's problems, to women's problems. The whole solution is that Christ has come to pay the penalty of our sin that separates us from God. And then the fourth and final part of the gospel that really is quite powerful, and that is it, it is that our response, well, how there is something we do. What is it? We don't earn our salvation. We don't deserve it. Our response then is to receive Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the gospel says, Yet to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, meaning in what he's done, who he is, and why he came, he gave the right to become the children of God. In fact, it goes on to say in Revelation, Jesus says there, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and eat with me. He's using a... He's using a cultural thing they used to do in that day where if you ate with someone, you were in a seat of great uh, comfort, great intimacy. And so you shared meals with people you wanted to be close with. And so Jesus is saying that anyone who would receive him would, would confess that I am a sinner. I fall short of God's expectation. I deserve God's wrath. Then, then receive Christ and repent of your sins. Say, I'm not going to believe I can be right with God anymore on my own. I'm going to fully trust in what Christ did for me. At that point, when you reach up for that gift that Christ offers and receive him, you are born from God. You are born again. Isn't that beautiful? And so when, when you think about the gospel, think of four things. God, holy, we are unable to know him or please him. The reason is because we, being secondly men and women, we are sinful. We are separated from him. We don't know him, love him, seek him. Thirdly, God's solution is to send Christ to die on the cross and to reveal who the one true God is to us. And fourthly, our response to that to repent of our sins, to say, Lord, I am giving up on the idea that I can somehow be good enough. <laughs> Isn't that freeing? I'm going to give up on the idea that I can be good enough. I'm giving it up. I'm repenting of it. And I'm putting my whole faith in what Christ did in the cross, that he paid this, the penalty of my sins. And I am now forgiven. The way in which you receive that, by the way, is, is, is really kind of the ABCs. You admit you're a sinner. You believe in Christ. And you confess him as Lord. Meaning you're willing to follow him from this day forward. It's pretty simple, straightforward, isn't it? Are there any questions? I mean, that's, that's the gospel. Now, here's the challenge. How do we take that message and share it with other people? Because that is the real frightening part of all this. Let me remind you, you remember the first objection we have is, I don't feel adequate. Well, 
I am now giving you materials where if you go home and meditate on this and you study the gospel and you let it like, like good ice cream after a big meal. You ever do that? You eat a good meal and then you go eat ice cream. The ice cream kind of sinks in the cracks and fills up everything. You, go, go and take the ice cream of the gospel and let it just seep into your soul so that it becomes a part of your faith and reinforces your faith. That's how we become adequate. But the second part of this is just as powerful. And that is once you allow that gospel to wash through you and begin to wash away this desire to try to prove to God you're a good person that you're not. The second thing is that you now are capable of sharing what God did for you. You see, that's what people want to know. People want to know not what you tell them, they want to know what God's done for you. And that's the joy of the gospel. Let me tell you, I, I want you to know there are so many things that God has saved me from that I would destroy my life over. And if it wasn't for him, I would have no hope. Amen. I want to ask Logan if he'll come forward now and lead you through the rest of the message this morning. Okay, well, I think this is a first for both of us, but I think it's going all right so far. Two, two pastors on one Sunday. Um, all right, so this next little part, uh, I want to just start off by saying, giving all the credit to Tim Keller and to InterVarsity, who put together this little presentation that I'm doing. None of this stuff is, is my own, but I found it to be really helpful. Um, there's only one gospel. That's what it says on the screen, right? Everybody say that. Say one gospel. There's only one gospel. Uh, Paul, in the book of Galatians, he says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There, it's on there. But then, so he says, there's only one gospel. But then a few lines later, in the same letter, he goes on to talk about how Paul has, he says, uh, we were entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So there's only one gospel, but it can be communicated in different forms. So he's sharing this one gospel, but, but Paul has the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the people who aren't religious. Whereas Peter, he's been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the people who have some kind of a, a Jewish background. Um, also, he says in 1 Corinthians, Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom from God. So again, there's different ways of persuading people of the truth of the gospel based on their background. Jews need to hear one thing. The Greeks need to hear another thing. Um, but in our culture right now, we are living in this kind of strange crossroads. That means that in Mooresville, where we live, in this Lake Norman area, there's a lot of people who have grown up with some kind of a religious background. They've grown up with a basic understanding of, of who Jesus is. And, and for those people... The ideas uh, that we just heard in the previous gospel presentation, they resonate really deeply. 
For instance, the idea you heard of being right with God, right? Or, or the, the concept of sin and guilt. And with those people, maybe the majority of the people who live in this community, the presentation that Robert just showed us is really the, the best presentation because they understand those terms and those terms help them respond to the truth of the gospel. But there's also this growing group of people who do not have those categories. There's a growing group of people that have a more relative way of thinking. And so you can say that you're guilty of sin, and they say, well, you say I'm guilty, but you have one standard, and, and I have another standard. And, and at that point, you're faced with a choice. Either you can get into some kind of deep apologetics argument and try to persuade them about the dangers of relativism, or you can try to find a, a different way of presenting the truth that comes at it with some common ground the two of you already have. And that's what I'm going to offer you here in the next five minutes or so. Um, this is what I, w I would frame as the gospel for the uncircumcised. It's a gospel presentation that has been built in, uh, recently for an audience that has less of a working biblical knowledge. Maybe they're not living with a, a biblical ethic. You might also think about it as the eternal life presentation of the gospel that we just heard or the kingdom presentation of the gospel that I'm about to take you through. So the eternal life uh, gospel that we just went through, it talks about an individual. It's focused God loves you and he has a plan for your life. It focuses on making a decision for Jesus. And then it talks about living an eternal life with God. Um, the kingdom presentation of the gospel is more focused around the values of a, a communal coming of the kingdom. It talks about transformation of the world, and it talks about God's calling us into a life of mission. All of that stuff is biblical, right? Both sides are telling us something true about what Jesus taught, but this is just a different way of seeing it. So the eternal life gospel goes God, sin, cross, faith, right? We just drew it out, hopefully. The kingdom gospel goes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so with that, I'm going to show you quickly that outline, a way to draw that. So if you've got the other sheet that we gave you, it says the big story. Uh, I put the answers on the back, so <laughs> you, you can cheat if you want to, but we're going to go through them up here. And this is just, again, another way of presenting the gospel uh, to people in our community. This this diagram was made by an MIT student who works for InterVarsity, and he found that he was having a difficult time connecting with students more recently, and he wanted to try to frame it in a way that would attract them. And I think this is really helpful. This is helpful, I'll say, for people who don't have maybe a strong religious background. It's also helpful for people whose lives are going really well. You know, a big problem of uh, guilt or, or feeling a need for change, when people feel like their life is fine... Uh, this is a, a good way to start with them as well. And so it starts like this. It starts with this picture of the world. And you say, I'm just going to walk you through the presentation. But when you think about the world, when you turn on the TV and watch the news, what do you see? What, what do you see on the news? Well, you see stories of, of racism. You see stories about war. You see the division in our country. You see poverty. You see starvation. The world is not, it's, it's in bad shape. But what's interesting about that is the way we respond. Everyone sees those stories and we think that's wrong. That's not the way things should be. Well, we believe that 
just like being hungry points to the existence of food, being thirsty points to the existence of water, well, our longing for a better world, it points to the existence that maybe there once was a better world, or perhaps in the future there will be a better world. So this is on the top right side of your paper. Draw that, that picture. And then on the top left side of your paper, draw this. Scripture tells us that God did create a better world. In fact, when God originally designed the world, he designed a world where people took care of each other. Where we took care of the world around us and where God took care of everything in it. Where we lived in perfect harmony and cooperation with each other. The world was designed for good. So you can write designed for good above the top. But clearly, we are not living that out anymore. So what happened? What happened? What's the problem? Well, the problem is that people rejected God. They threw off God and decided that they were going to live like their own gods. Or in some cases, we, it, it, we have taken the good things that God has given us, and we've lifted them up to make them our gods. And so we worship them as the central point of our life. And as a result, we see this world that we live in today, where our relationships are broken, where our world is broken, and where we see all of these devastating consequences. And so it, the world is broken, but also we have to admit that we have participated in that as well. That we have brought some of that brokenness into the world ourselves. But there is a solution. Scripture tells us that God sent Jesus, his son, into the world. And he did a few things when he came into the world. The first thing it says is that he identified with us. He suffered alongside of us. He felt all of that brokenness and devastation, but he did not contribute to it. He owned that brokenness, it says on the cross, that he suffered and that he died and he paid the consequences for that cross. But it also tells us that Jesus came to declare the arrival of a new kingdom, a kingdom where the good things that are supposed to happen actually do. And that when Jesus overcame death on the cross, he began the process of bringing in that new kingdom. He came to restore the world for better. And then there's this fourth picture because this is what the gospel is all about. The gospel tells us that when you choose uh, to follow Jesus, he calls you on a mission together with him to heal the world. To live in community and to bring about the kingdom of God. And to do that through loving our neighbors through following Jesus with our lives, through working towards justice and mercy and, and living that kind of life. Now, here's the important part of this presentation. Especially if you present this to a lot of younger people, they might ask this question, well, why can't I just go from here to here? This sounds pretty good. I would like to go and heal the world. But there's a problem. You can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, because the problems are infinitely great. People have been trying throughout history to solve the problems of the world, and look at where it's got us. We cannot possibly do these things on our own. To actually bring in the kind of kingdom change that we need, we need the presence of God. We need a community of God's people walking alongside of us, and we need the Holy Spirit. And the only way that's possible is if we go through Jesus. The only way we can get to those things is if we 
have Jesus Christ leading our lives. Now, after you've drawn those four circles, the place this presentation goes is to asking the person you're talking to. And you say, well, look at those circles. Look at those pictures. Where do you think you are amongst those four circles? The person might say, well, I think I'm right here. I don't think the world's like you described it. (laughs) And if that's what they say, you say, well, you're in denial. (laughs) Turn on the TV, open up a newspaper, uh, look at your phone. That's not the way the world is. My invitation for you is to wake up (laughs) and to, to acknowledge the real state of the world. They might say, well, I'm right here. I'm, I, you're right, I feel that this world is damaged by evil. I recognize that my life is damaged by evil, and I don't want that anymore. What do I do? And that's an invitation to say, well, let me show you about Jesus. Now, they might say also, they might say, well, I'm right here. I believe in Jesus. I've gone to church. I've grown up in the church. But, you know, I don't, it's not, I don't think it really has to make you a missionary, and I don't think it really has to affect your life like that. And if they say that, if they say, I believe in Jesus, but you don't see it in my life anywhere. But I remember back when I was 10 years old, I prayed some prayer sometime, and and so I know I'm a Christian. Well, you've got to tell that person, you think you're here, but you're actually here. Because Scripture tells us that faith without works is dead. That you can't follow Jesus and and it have no impact on your life whatsoever. But you can say, but Jesus, he really is calling you into this kind of life. He's calling you into this life where you're living in community with people, sharing the gospel, and seeing the world transformed. So I hope you can see the the difference between those two types of presentations. They both are explaining true things. They're both getting to the gospel in real and, I think, helpful ways. Um, The gospel is not complicated, I guess, is the conclusion of our our message up here this morning. It's not complicated. But that doesn't mean it's simple. We can come at it from different angles. We can uh, meet people where they are to try to persuade them of the truth. And both this eternal life presentation and this kingdom presentation are true, and they can show us how to get to God's plan of salvation from a few different vantage points. Um, I think... We also have made, oh, yeah, that's a nice little note, too. (laughs) We need to remember as we're going through these things, diagrams don't save people, of course. So if you you miss a line here or there, that's not going to be what is holding up someone's eternal salvation. Uh, Only the Holy Spirit can save somebody. That's one of the great truths of our faith. And so that means when you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you don't need to stress out. You can relax. It's not up to you. If it succeeds or if it fails, only the Lord can change somebody's heart. So my invitation to you with both of these presentations is just relax and give it a shot and see what God might do. Um, We did go ahead and put these things online for you. Um, So if you didn't get a chance to grab every single detail, it's at thecenterchurch.org slash evangelism. And there's even pamphlets to describe how to do it. In preparing for this, I practiced it like 10 times. So it's, it's okay if you don't have it after just hearing it once. Um, but we hope that this has been a blessing to you. I mean, our, as Robert said, our desire as pastors is, is that we would equip the church to share the gospel. Um, also, it's worth noting that one of the great ways you share the gospel is by bringing people into this community of faith. Evangelism happens not only through a 
point-by-point presentation, but it happens through discipleship, through living life together, bringing people into this body where they can experience the hands and feet of Jesus and see what it's like to have their faith lived out. Um, So we're in this together. Um, Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And we thank you that uh, it is apparent to us that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we know deep down that we have a problem that we cannot fix on our own. And that problem is sin. Lord, I pray that you might use the people in this room to communicate that truth. I pray for all the people we're thinking of right now. Parents, children, people we love, our neighbors, our co-workers. Lord, would you please move in their hearts? And would you please give us the eyes to see the opportunities that you've given us? Give us the boldness to trust in you and not to be afraid. And would you use us, even in our stumbling, and our tongue-tied words, would you use us to share the good news? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.